are you effing kidding me? Was text I was getting, meaning back to Afghanistan. Like, are, this is unbelievable. We're back at this again. When we were positioned not to be. Because nobody disagrees that, that you know, China is, a, is, is, is an enormous strategic threat. We do need to pivot. But U.S. Air Force has limited number of assets. CIA has a limited budget. Are we going to train case officers to learn Dari and Pashto again? Really? When we want to have them learn Chinese and Russian? Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. In today's episode, we're going to continue our conversation with Molly McHugh and Mark Polymeropoulos about the United States military withdrawal from Afghanistan, what comes next for the region, and what individuals can do. If you haven't yet, I would recommend you begin by listening to part one of this conversation. Let's get back into it. Okay, I want to pivot to withdrawal and execution. But before, I just want to note this tweet that Tom Nichols uh, put out last night. I think this is really helpful for uh, the Democrats who are listening to hear this because I think everybody understands where we're coming from here, having all supported uh, Biden's candidacy. And Tom Nichols, noted, esteemed national security expert, Harvard Extension School professor, Naval War College professor, wrote um, The Death of Expertise. Many of you may be familiar with him. He says, I have a piece of advice for Democrats going to the wall for the Biden Biden did this perfectly argument. I know you're concerned that this is going to be used by the GOP as fodder, but listen, stop worrying about what the GOP thinks. Be the adults as much as you might hate it. And he notes, you know, Biden could preside over a Taliban surrender on the deck of a battleship and the GOP and Fox would portray it as some kind of socialist plot. Just ignore them. Act like the governing party you want to be. Tough, committed to your policies, willing to own mistakes, resolute. The only way to affect change is to be the example you want others to emulate, screeching about the stuff you don't understand because, quote, we have to stand with Biden is playing the GOP's game. And uh, and I just I think that's really important just to preface the next part of this conversation, because there is plenty of blame here. And I want our listeners to understand where we're coming from in this criticism. So let's talk about. The withdrawal. You've, you, both of you have talked about the deal, and I think there's still some sort of question of of whether the withdrawal itself was the right decision or, or what withdrawal even really means, right? Mark, you you I think you put that really nicely in that withdrawal doesn't have to mean complete evacuation, right, of everything that we've ever done there. So we made the decision to leave. What was done in advance of us leaving, and what? could have been done in advance of us leaving. Was this level of chaos uh, that we've seen unfold for the last couple of weeks um, a given? Was it inevitable, as seems to be a frequent line out of the White House? And there's also this other line that I've seen, like, it's basically scapegoating the Afghan military, the Afghan forces. Oh, they didn't want to fight. The gaslighting. The gaslighting. And so um, there's there's a lot to unpack here. And I'm not even really sure where the best place to start pulling on this thread is. Um, do either of you have a, have, you know, what, what in your mind rises to the most uh, disingenuous criticism or, or uh, maybe the things that um, need to be better understood that haven't yet been unpacked in the, uh, in the news coverage of this? 
How would you, so where would you start? I think the, the gaslighting is something that really bothered me, again, okay. because I had worked with Afghan, Afghan units. Say, and, say what you mean by that. And so, so this is essentially as, as you know, the, the Taliban were making gains, um, there, was a, there was a narrative that uh, came out of the White House, and particularly from President Biden, which is a little strange because he's supposed to be known for his empathy. Um, but he basically was shaming the Afghans for not fighting hard enough. And and what is what is interesting, and if it, it, what what was really surprising is someone Biden is a practitioner of foreign policy. He should know better because, from my point, again, I'm just one of those you know ground folks. You know, morale in war is really important. Morale in conflict, it is a determinant. And if you know Afghanistan, those many of us who do, people switch sides in Afghanistan all the time. They bank on the winner. My ability to go recruit Afghans was because I paid more and because the United States was there and we were going to win. And so when Biden started and the administration started gaslighting, shaming the Afghans, you know what the Afghan military and all the Afghan you know, folks in the government did? They said, F this. Mm. You know, they're leaving. It was a complete signal that we were out of there. And so the idea that – and, and in, in my view, it was a total accelerant that, that caused kind of this devolution of, uh, 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 of, of, of the Afghan state and, and everything falling apart. And it's strange to me because – Biden should have known better. Mm. Again, who did he sound like? And this is this pains me. It was very Trumpian. Mm. It was just simplistic and just being angry for not fighting harder. And so, to me, that was that provided a, an enormous accelerant, and it became an administration talking point. Um, a, a couple things on that: sixty-six thousand Afghan military were killed in the war. Okay, and then and, and so that that actually is, is a is a pretty relevant figure. It's kind of if I was an Afghan, it's kind of insulting. Yeah. Uh, and the next point is the special operations and intelligence community units that were trained did not surrender. They have, they fought till the bitter end. In fact, they were outside the airport fighting till the bitter end. And so, it, again, it's a, it's an overall statement that I think is not based on uh, on reality. So, you know, t- to me, that was that was something painful. We sat back again. This is this is you know my my crowd of of former agency folks who who, who spent a lot of time there. Of course, we know, you know, the deficiencies of the Afghan military. Um, but but here's one thing, and that that you ask any single member of the special operations, well, I'm, I'm, I, at least in the intelligence community, perhaps many of special operations, nobody thought the Afghans could fight without us. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of taking the training wheels off, which I think is a little insulting. It's just not the reality there. We had to be there, or this would happen. Uh, and, and so you would never find any CIA officer worth you know worth their salt who had served there. Um, who, if asked, hey, if we withdraw, can the Afghans, you know, make it on their own? Nobody would say yes. I have a question. Why was that the case? Why did they need us there to fight? I mean, it's, you know, unconventional warfare is not just simply we train someone and leave. Sometimes we have to train and stay. It just is what it is. You know, there is enormous – of course there's enormous corruption in the Afghan military. But I think it's being simplistic to say that that we could have just trained them and left. Sometimes we got to train, stay, train them and stay in very small numbers. But but you know for you know I've I've been out on operations with them without without U.S. advisors wouldn't have gone so well um, and there's nothing wrong with it, with you know if you accept that but I'll tell you with the, you know when you have when you have the president of the United States who is supposed to be kind of the moral leader of our you know of our country I mean this is a, this is a country that has backed the mm-hmm. you know, the Afghans you know for 20 years you know come out and really shame everyone um, that does not help the morale of the fighting forces or the government of Afghanistan I think that was an enormous you know it's an enormous messaging mistake and mm-hmm. it was. Uh, you know, you want to you want to contrasted to what it could have been. It's a, a sports goal. I mean, you know, a sports analogy would be you know, it's a it's a it's an own goal in mm-hmm. soccer. It, this is this this was on us, and I thought I think it proved an accelerant. I think there's a couple of things that I've heard over the last. Again, don't even know what day it is anymore. Over the last bit of time uh, during the active phase of the withdrawal, that have been really just like eye popping erroneous. 
one is this idea, nobody knew this was going to be like this. I, I actually went and found my notebook from this thing, but in, uh, a little more than probably three and a half years ago, somebody showed me all open source, none of this classified and leaked, like, but a, a, an intelligence assessment uh, that was done by a group that was in Afghanistan uh, using their own contacts. Uh, so from early 2018, um, laying out, and they showed it to me because they knew I'd be interested, obviously, in very detailed and specific terms, what the Russian influence campaign on the ground looked like, how they were funneling money to the Taliban, to all of the local leadership, rebuilding all of their old 1980s networks, all the, you know, intelligence and military and whatever assets they had had before they were like pinging up again in exactly what Mark described, the outspending us mode and, and, and to screw us, to, to make us look bad on the way out, all the things that Russia views as fun and interesting and, and, and a good time. Um, but very detailed, clearly happening. Open, you, can, you can Google articles from the same period of time. People knew this was happening in the country. And then you can layer on top of that whatever the hell China is doing and all the stuff from Pakistan and all the stuff from Iran and whoever else feels like they wanted to influence this dynamic. Again, I'm not a classified person here, and I knew this. So why the hell didn't the White House understand that – Trump White House, Biden White House, any White House – understand that the minute you pull back – the force of U.S. presence, the moral force of U.S. presence, the commitment to be in the thing behind the thing that we want to stay there, to run the country, that that whole thing wasn't going to collapse in on itself is nonsense. And the idea that our intelligence community didn't understand that and hadn't assessed that and provided that up the chain, I don't know where that chain stops. Mark probably knows better than me. <laughs> but the idea that this was not known yeah. is just untrue. And again, Google it. Read the New York Times even. Like there's articles on this and there. The second for me is really the idea that this, it was always going to be chaos. It was inevitable. Okay, number one, it was not always going to be chaos. Uh, the process on the ground is absurd. Um, it hasn't changed over the course of two weeks. It's gotten worse. Uh, it is the most absurd. The structure of what is happening in Afghanistan right now is the most Amazing in terms of mustering of human will and resources to get things done from outside of the United States government official presence. Uh, and absurd from the sense of what is happening in the official side uh, that I've ever seen anywhere. And that says a lot because I've been in some things. But the fact that they haven't even tried to fix it, they're just trying to make the bleeding stop. Like, here's the deadline, going to get out, bleeding will stop, people will forget by mid-September. Mid like, mm. new thing, Right. And the fact that at the beginning, this idea that things are inevitable and the United States can't change them, F that. Mm. We're the United States, you know, yeah. <laughs> the richest, most powerful country yeah. in the world with a huge military presence on the ground. And the idea that we couldn't change the way this looked or would operationally be through to the end, knowing our partners wanted it to be better and different and that we weren't listening to them uh, is absurd. And uh, I think – even if you're looking at it from a comms perspective, let alone an operational or intelligence perspective, from the first day, the stuff started looking pretty bad with the Taliban. It was clear, you know, they were taking they territory took this city, quickly. And they took another city and then, oh, wait, look again, they it took another city. organized and operationalized very effectively. Their movement was deliberate and fast. There was very little resistance because the money had paved the way. The units understood what was going to happen. When we had at the end of July some of the Afghan commando units that had been trained by special forces uh, 
hold up in their bases. Clearly, they had been been you know targeted by the Taliban version of special forces units. You know, uh, hold up in their bases, fighting until the last bullet, calling in air support. That was still there at the time. That did not come, and they all had to surrender to the Taliban and be executed on film. And that we didn't pivot then, knowing that this is what's coming, yeah. is just like. Even if you care about social media, you should have yeah. been better at this. And that they didn't even understand now, knowing the turn in U.S. opinion, that people are, for once, like, bring the Afghans here. Millions of dollars of stuff and time and resources have been have been donated by Americans. We believe in this. We believe this is our moral responsibility. People want to house these people, bring them in. You know, huge resources have been mustered. And that the administration can't see that shift in opinion and just get it done instead of keeping the gates closed and not letting in groups that have support to evacuate. Um, what a loss yeah. for them. I mean, again, a victory within a defeat is so important that you can pull out and have this moment of we got our people out. We did this. Instead, it's this betrayal upon betrayal in terms of what it looks like there. And I don't care how you want to shine it. We all got to support Biden. Like, I'm supportive of this president. But I cannot support this because I see what it looks like and I'm getting the text messages and I have not slept. And uh, it did not need to be this way. I think one thing that's really important to note is, you know, and again, I'm going to sound naive on this, but I've been shocked watching the press conferences, um, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ned Price at the State Department, whether it's Kirby at DOD, whether it's Jen Psaki. There is so much and, and I have, you know, we have to be careful on this. Because lies is perhaps a word that one use could use, but there's so much you know untruthfulness that is going on that is it defies reality from what we know is happening on the ground in Afghanistan, and we know this as Molly's aware because many of us are involved or have friends who are involved or are on signal chats or what WhatsApp chats with people on the ground, and so you know when they say things like Americans can get in, well they can't. When they say things like the Haqqani and the Taliban are different groups. You know, people's heads in my world want to pop off. Um, there is mm. so much that has been said uh, uh, in these press conferences where, you know, the conclusion that you reach, and it's painful because we supported the administration, is they're lying. They're not telling the truth. And the question is why? And it, it's and, and so I think it's been profoundly kind of disturbing to me to see not only kind of this, you know, the, the, the execution, you know, done so poorly, but then an inability to take responsibility. Um, and then this messaging campaign, which is just not based on the truth. Um, you know, th this, you know, and, and, and I don't know where the narrative comes from. The, the concept or the idea that is now being parroted, um, cause I, and I will tell you, it's not from the intelligence community and not okay. because I have access to that just, yeah. but, but, but I know everybody there, I worked and served with them. The idea that the Taliban can somehow become this, you know, constructive, responsible partner, um, that, that we, we feel that we have, I mean, literally what I, what I read this morning is that the administration believes we have leverage over the Taliban. There's nobody, you know, mm -hmm. who deals with Afghanistan, um, from my old world who believes that. And so, you know, I don't know where, where, where are they getting this from? And so mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's, you know, perhaps it's some, some naivete. I thought we would be better. I thought the administration would be better. Um, I would have expected this from the previous administration. Uh, uh, and so, you know, the, the idea of cheerleading, uh, you know, uh, you know, for, for, for everything that comes out of, uh, of, of, of the white house. Um, I think that, you know, both Molly and myself would have no credibility if we did, even though we yeah. both supported, you know, yeah. the, 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 you know, the, the, you know, the Biden candidacy. Um, and I think, and again, for me, it's even more painful because I just thought we were so much better. And it is, 
you know, it's caused a lot of sleepless nights. Um, not only, you know, of course, you know, worrying about our Afghan allies and, of course, the, the Afghan-Americans who have to get out, but also that, you know, what happened? Yeah. You know, where did this administration go so wrong? Um, and then and then there's kind of the other part as well where I do see kind of friends and colleagues who are angry at me, you know, for going on Fox News. You know, so, you know, I'll go, I will be on CNN later today. I was on Fox News over the weekend. I'm, if someone's going to call and ask me what I think, I'm going to tell them what I think. I will have no credibility if I don't. Um, uh, and so you got to call it like you see it and the picture is not good. And, you know, I think there's a profound sense of disappointment on, on how the administration has handled this, the messaging, but also an inability to take responsibility. I think they didn't read my book. Mm. <laughs> I talk a lot about that. You do yeah. actually. And it is, and it is an excellent, you like that plug, plug. there. I did those. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Y'all gotta get the plugs. Gotta in. get the plugs yeah. in. Okay. Why don't, why don't we do this? Because I want, since you are both so connected to what's happening on the ground to the extent that you can and you are comfortable can you give people a sense of what civilians in Afghanistan are going through right now i want to know what the stories and the images that we have not seen yet that we should be prepared to see in the days and months ahead as the taliban completely takes over and as the situation devolves after you know the deadline on the 31st what do you know about what's happening on the ground now? And what do you think is inevitable uh, that we will see uh, evidence of after that happens? Um, I think the texture of what's happening right now, it's, uh, you know, you get, you get glimpses of it from the remaining small media presence. A, a lot of that has had to pull out for obvious, you don't want to be the last one left on the tarmac mm-hmm. um, um, reasons. Um, uh, the environment has become very tense, very unstable. Uh, the sort of propaganda effort from the Russians and the Chinese and whoever else has been this, oh, but look, they're still shopping in Kabul. It's so calm. And it's calm because people are fucking hiding. Excuse my language. Um, there's huge groups of people who know they are targeted, who know they are on lists, whether that be uh, the civs who haven't gotten out yet, the, the special immigrant visas, the people who work for the United States are verified and vetted to have worked for the United States, have been in process of requesting asylum in the United States because they have been targeted by the Taliban and others for their work with the United States for years. Uh, the U.S. veterans community and many on Capitol Hill have been pushing to streamline this process for years. All of the intelligence officers, all the special forces officers, all of the people on the ground who had TERPs, as they call them, their interpreters, um, and, and local partners who saved their bacon multiple times because they understood the local dynamic, the language. They heard the thing the guy was saying that warned them to get the hell out of there. They knew the dynamics and the culture. Um, so all those people, all the people who were what we hoped the new Afghanistan would be, the women's groups, the girls' robotics team, the girls' soccer mm. team, uh, the music schools, the uh, which the Taliban has has you know banned music again, and all those people are to be forcibly married to whatever talibs need young wives. Um, uh, you know, they know what this looks like. All these groups of people looking for a way out, um, because it's only twenty years since they lived it, and this new generation, which is very young has been very hopeful. Uh, and in the way that is uh, in this whole insulting, the Afghans didn't want it enough narrative in the way that we, we put the opportunity there, but every one of these kids took it for themselves. It's not like we had this like amazing, we're going to train all the Afghans mm-hmm. to be the people. We, we had these opportunities there 
And many of them women, many of them girls, many young uh, men uh, as well took these opportunities and made something for themselves and uh, because they wanted it, because they worked for it, because every day was hard and they did it anyway. Uh, and now they know that's gone. But they know what it was like before because their moms, sisters, you know, cousins, whoever uh, lived in that dynamic, fled the country, came back, um, whatever. Um, but in the same way that in the Baltic states now, in Eastern Europe now, the the more real, uh, like reality-based granular fear of Russia persists because their families, their grandfathers, their fathers were tortured and killed by the Soviets. Um, this is this immediate thing for them. They know what happened to their families before. They know what the dynamics was like. They heard all the stories. They've seen the pictures. They've seen the movies. They've seen the films. Um, and they've are, I mean, they've seen the worst bits of it in the last 20 years too, the reprisal killings, uh, you know, all the other things that have gone on. Um, they know what's coming and they know the Taliban has gotten smarter about it. They're going to try to keep it off TV, you know, except for recruiting purposes, it won't be on YouTube. Um, uh, but that's what's coming for them. And the Taliban has made that very clear. That this idea, it's a new, moderate. The 2.0. Right. That's, that's it's spin. <laughs> the, the idea that, it, that it's like, oh, but it's actually way better than ISIS, so that's cool. Like, there are going to be waves of killings, waves of torture, oppression, imprisonment, you know, disappearances, however you want to phrase it. Uh, this will be very regionally, you know, diverse because it's not like there's actually a centrally controlled thing. And and even the central Taliban and the guys directly controlled by the Pakistanis aren't, if you, if you try to call them, oh, we can't control those guys down there. They're crazy down there, man. Like, whew, don't drive through that province. Um, and especially on the side of, I mean, anybody who ever worked for us, all the commandos who can't get out, all the special forces guys have been identified in great detail and are being, are going to be targeted. Um, but so anybody who ever worked for us and girls in particular, any of these girls, uh, who won't immediately fall back into line. Um, we can expect forcible marriage, which comes with, I mean, we'll call it forcible marriage, but let's face it, that's rape. That's a lifetime of torture. Uh, it's often maiming and, uh, you know, other, other uh, you will learn your lesson things. It's girl, you know, women back into the full chador, mm-hmm. uh, unable to walk in the streets. Um, there was a really good Clarissa Ward report from probably a year ago now, but she, she went like behind the lines into then Taliban controlled territory in a part of, of Afghanistan um, and was waiting, and the Taliban was supposed to be showing her around. There, here's our new hospital. Huh. Look at our boys' school. You know, all of these things they wanted to show her. Like, we actually bring good governance to the regions that we control. Um, she was waiting outside this hospital for her meeting with somebody, somebody, dude. And um, there was a little girl walking in the street, and some Talib came ripping down the street on a dirt bike and ran over this little girl. And nobody did anything. Because it was a girl, so who the fuck cared? And she's standing there with her crew, like, we're outside a hospital. Is nobody going to pick up this kid? And finally, like, somebody, like, you know, picks her up by an arm and, like, okay, we'll take oh her into the, the lady doctor who was in the, in the clinic, you know. But when you see that and understand that ain't no new Taliban 
And uh, yes, maybe there will be networks of women who manage to organize to protect themselves and live better. Um, but no. And we signed that warrant and uh, it's not just the girls and I want to, you know, it's just like, the, it's an easy thing to focus on because it will be horrific. Um, but, but that for every group, the minority groups that aren't welcome, the Christians, you know, whoever is not LGBT willing to, are being hunted. Oh, absolutely. You know, whoever's not willing to regrow the beard and put the, put the thing in line and, and not sing the songs and whatever the hell. Um, there will be the new rules, the new weird rules about what it means to live in Taliban Afghanistan. And if you do not follow them, you will be punished. So, in, so, and here's something I don't understand. When, yeah. So, so I agree with everything that Molly just said. I think this idea of a Taliban 2.0 makes, makes no sense. Um, you know, for those of us who've, who've known and, and, and seen the Taliban, uh, uh, over, over the last two decades, um, I think that, you know, they're obviously were behaving themselves in Kabul publicly to some extent to get to tomorrow to 831 because fundamentally they want U.S. forces out. Uh, and of course we don't have the social media presence in, 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 in over the rest of the country and, and, you know, of, you know, down South in Kandahar, the, you know, the kind of the home of the, of the Taliban, who knows what's happening there. Um, so there's nothing from kind of the Afghan experts that I've been around with that I know um, that would indicate to any extent that uh, the, the Taliban will change. So let's let's put that that's that's my view. But here's something, and you know, kind of to going to one of the core discussion points um, of this podcast today is why does the left not care? Mm. I mean, we're arguing now. You know, we're 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 going through a fundamental policy of. Much more, you know, a, a, a old, not old, not not under the Reagan, uh, uh, you know, uh, years, but 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 a, but a much more kind of you know right wing policy now of America first. We don't care what happens overseas. The left usually is is those who argue the Samantha powers of the world for intervention based on humanitarian concerns. Where is the left right now as they cheerlead for the Biden administration policies here? I don't understand that. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, if, if you read, you know, Samantha Powers and, and everything she believes in, um, this would be a very strong argument for keeping a residual force of 2,500. So what we're going to see happen doesn't happen. Remind everybody who Samantha Powers Samantha is. Powers, uh, former, uh, first of all, you know, an amazing author, academic, former, uh, ambassador, um, to the United Nations. Under Obama. Uh, uh, under, under Obama and someone who really kind of pushed forth based on all the terrible things she'd seen over the years, put, put, uh, pushed forth kind of a, a doctrine of intervention based on, um, you know, humanitarian concerns. Um, the, the left is, is silent right now yeah. as there as and not not you know in mass but but you know in in trying to protect this administration you don't see um kind yeah. of that outcry and that to me is, is 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 a little bit mystifying and the thing i think that's so crushing and sort of building on the samantha powers theme because she really fell on her sword in this one in her her more recent memoir as well um is one of the worst foreign policy failures of the obama administration um and and categorically so was everything to do with Syria. And they mm. even even most of them will admit it. They know it. that, yeah. yeah. Um, I've talked to them. Yeah, yeah I mean, know right. that. They're, they're not always yeah. so crystal clear in public, but the, the better ones, especially yeah. on the humanitarian side, are. But right. I mean, yeah. there's just no way to look at Syria and, and whatever, whatever piece of it you want to look at. But the fact that we allowed a situation to be constructed where the, the adversaries of America were pushing on this conflict in a way that screwed us in Iraq, 
drove re- refugees toward Europe, changed the political dynamics of Europe to more of this far-right crap. Like every aspect of what has happened in Syria, the projection of Russian power far beyond the Black Sea and now further into Africa, every aspect of Syria has been a catastrophe because it was the 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 non-intervention of the United States was premised upon false beliefs and a bad narrative about some local civil war that had nothing to do with us and that was false from the minute that yeah. conflict started. And uh, getting that wrong made ISIS a thing. You know, getting that wrong let Iran out of its box in the region. Getting that wrong gave Russia this huge new footprint in the Mediterranean uh, uh, and its goals to, to, you know, screw NATO from every side. Um, there's so many pieces of this. And I just, like, that they haven't, like, they, there's sort of this understanding that the humanitarian parts, you know, probably a million Syrians dead. People stopped counting like a decade ago at 450,000, but let's call it a lot. The millions displaced in the region into Europe to to far shores, um, how that has restructured the political dynamics in the region against Mm -hmm. us, more alignment with Russia and regional powers because they need to to absorb these refugees. And that, so they're, they're, they're willing to accept the humanitarian piece made them look bad, but then I guess haven't learned this broader if you miss the one moment to intervene where it's a small light footprint, special forces, some stuff, you know, some air intervention, whatever, uh, and let everything go totally down the rabbit hole, it, there, it's, it's then very hard to unfuck yeah. and, and not see how that is on a bigger scale what's going to happen in Afghanistan is tragic to me. I saw some analysis that, you know, the Taliban really isn't worried about any, you know, uh, loss of funds or funding because they're going to get it from somewhere else, right? I mean, mean, you know, this is is the biggest drug dealers on the planet. Right. Um, uh, I actually, you know, I I find it amazing that, that, that that individuals within the government, and apparently there are, are arguing that that the, the Taliban care about legitimacy, that they yeah. do oh, wow. seek um, international aid and recognition. Oh. Um, I think that, and and frankly, they've done a brilliant PR campaign. You know, their their political chief, the one you know, Mullah Berater, who is you know leading the negotiations in Doha, is now returned, of course, uh, first to Kandahar and then and then to Kabul, has been you know masterful in kind of pushing this narrative that there's this kind of new new Taliban 2.0 but yeah. but the idea that that they crave inter- that, that they that they actually care what the United States or Europe thinks of them it just they just do not yeah. and i just do not understand we have no in my view we have no leverage on them whatsoever and on the base level, in terms of the funding, like they're going to get plenty of money from yeah. all the people from, that, that from China, China have. From China, 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 we don't want to from, give them from money. China, right. Russia, from others. From people yeah. whose interests we don't want tied Correct. to theirs. And, right. and if nothing else, the Taliban just became like the third largest arms dealer in the world because of the stuff that they because of the stuff took we from left our behind. left behind things. Yeah. And again, it's not just that they're going to be selling guns and ammo to goons, which is true. Um, it's the bigger equipment. Uh, the stuff that we left that like the Chinese really want to take apart and look at the Russians really want to take apart like all that's gonna you know they'll just they'll 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 sell pieces for a chunk of a good chunk of cash at a time uh, to Iran to North Korea to anybody who wants to upgrade their systems uh, to take it apart and look yeah. at it and build better things and can, can I ask yeah, one, please, question, yeah. one one question just maybe we can frame this and yeah. here's something I still don't understand um, because I think the American people. Uh, uh, do actually care and like when their politicians admit mistakes. Yeah. I Why agree. can't uh, you know the the administration say even now, you know, we made some mistakes along the way. Yeah. Um the you know the inability to take responsibility um to have some humility is is quite amazing to me. I I just I I fundamentally don't understand that because I think you know the 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 greatest politicians of our time when they're honest 
um, you know, the American people can respond to that. Yes. And so just this blind defense of the inevitability um, uh, or, you know, the Afghans cut and run. I mean, all the things that that kind of the defenders of the administration, um, or I call the cheerleaders now, uh, you know, are saying, I don't understand why we couldn't have, you know, or, you know, uh, and he, he, even Biden in one of his, you know, you know, many, um, you know, addresses to the nation, just to show us a little bit of sense of humility. Yeah. Um, they have shown an inability to do that. And that to me, I, I don't, that to me, that's not leadership. Um, it's not helpful. And again, it causes this amazing credibility gap. And, you know, politically, it would seem to me it gives a lot of uh, ammunition to, to the right, to, it, to, the, to, the, to the Republicans. It certainly does give a lot of ammunition to the right. And I think that is that is why so many Democrats are wrongly digging in their heels about criticism of this event. And uh, I think it's I think I think it's terrible. And I, I think to your point about accepting responsibility and, and, and admitting mistakes, that is that is precisely one of the patterns of behavior that everybody abhorred about Donald Trump. Right. And uh and I think it's really important to recognize that where it exists and uh and it's unfortunate to see that happening here. Make maybe one point which I think underlies everything we've been talking about. And it's this the non-leadership thing which makes me crazy. The whole point of good leadership, yeah. political leadership, military leadership, operational leadership in sp- more specific terms, you know, is if you are the leader and you are a good leader, not only do you project the values and the morals that everybody should be following, but you accept responsibility for the hard things. Yeah. Especially if you're a military commander, that's what you do. Like you train all your guys to know that the crap they have to do that isn't great is by the command of a moral authority and you own the decisions for that. And what I cannot stand about what is happening in Afghanistan is the White House has devolved every ounce of responsibility for our partners, for people we know are vulnerable, to people like me. And who the hell am I? Like, why should former special operators be running operations in Afghanistan to evacuate our interpreters when that's the American government's responsibility? And this... And like this is when people are like, oh, why does it? Why do Americans not trust the government? Why is there two percent support for Congress? Like, oh, what is all this? Like, it's because where the hell is the government? Like, okay, we already have to crowdfund our healthcare and like, you know, crowdfund our pandemic response and you know muster our own networks of of nurses and veterinarians to administer oxygen to people during a crisis. Okay, we got that. We we managed that one okay till there were grownups in charge, but like. Now we have to crowdfund and crowdsource an evacuation of a country. Awesome. It's pretty embarrassing. It is. I mean, and and you know, so so it's a testament to those who who have who have done this. And and Molly, I know you have, and it's it's amazing um, uh, to see because people have been up for you know night after night, um, and this you know, and, and there's many different groups, and it's it's a, it's an incredible different coalition of uh, of folks who wanted to help. But there's a very strong argument, as Molly just said, for why did this even have to happen? Yeah. And it's because government broke down yeah. and because our, our foreign policy apparatus broke down because those, you know, when, when you know, uh, uh, organizations like No One Left Behind, you know, Matt Zeller, a former CIA analyst, you know, has been screaming for months about the, the SIVs and nobody listened. Um, it's because the basic, you know, uh, breakdown of government function occurred. Then private sector citizens stood in. There's going to be movies written about yeah. this. There's going to be uh, 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 there's going to be books. It's going to be pretty dramatic. Um, but I think we have to step back and say, boy, that was really, you know, why was that even necessary? And that's a really fair criticism. And again, uh, you know, it goes back to, of course, there was mistakes made under the Trump administration. The Doha Agreement is one of the most flawed diplomatic agreements uh, of our generation. It's going to be written about in history books. Um, how we, you know, how the the, the Taliban played, 
uh, at chess and we played checkers, checkers. But, you know, the Biden administration were the, you know, in power in charge, uh, and, yeah. and, and, and they do own a lot of this. Um, and, and, you know, boy, when, you know, the private sector, you know, jumping in, um, incredible, uh, you know, inspirational, motivating. People are very emotional about it. They should be very proud of what they did. Um, but why was it necessary to begin with? And yeah. I think that's a really good question to ask. And just to be clear, as during the pandemic, when there was a total failure of mobilization of American will and resources because the government did not ask for it because they were like, oh, there's no disease or whatever. It's the same here. If the government had said to all of us who are doing this now anyway, we need your help doing this. The timeline has shrunk. Get your list together. Get people here. We will help you do this. We would have done it anyway. But instead... We're working around the government, past the government, using our foreign allies and bizarre partners to make these things happen. And when the only thing you need is a door opened for five minutes and they won't open the door, that's what we're looking at right now. And again, if you had just asked, everybody would have done this. A literal door. A literal gate into an airstrip. Um, You know, if, if you had just asked... All these people who are now saying this is a humanitarian catastrophe would have praised you for opening a door. But instead you have the failure to understand American will and to muster that will toward the good of the country. And this is why the country is falling Mm. apart, in my opinion. But on every scale, the core of what we are fails to muster American will towards the goals that we all need to achieve. And there is no more pressing example of this than, and literally thousands upon thousands of people. It's not, you know, 20 guys or five people or a couple of, of journalists, thousands upon thousands of Americans who are working on this right now because the people who actually should have done it just said it wasn't worth the time. Let me, let me say one thing about the mm-hmm. folks on the ground, the, the, you know, the U.S. military members, diplomats, intelligence uh, officers who kind of remained um, uh, in Kabul and will be you know, presumably out very shortly. Um, you know, there, there's a couple of things that I, that I thought of when, when, I, uh, you know, when, I, when I talk to them, when I, when I think about this. Um, first and foremost, they witnessed the hunger, the hunger games uh, in, in kind of real time. That is going to cause, and, and I mean this seriously, that is going to cause, you know, PTSD for many of these members. If you're, if you're you know, a 19, 20-year-old Marine oh, and you're outside the gates, you are making decisions on life and death. You are not trained for this. Um, they are letting in people, uh, you know, based on, uh, uh, on guidance, but also, you know, uh, that's it. And the, the, the decisions they make will have profound effects on someone, you know, living, coming in, into the airport and back to perhaps back to the U.S. or not making it in. Um, based on on just you know split second decisions, so I think of them, and and yeah, and, and, I, and I think it's it's pretty extraordinary what we've asked, um, uh, you know the, the the men and women of the military to do on the ground there, um, and so I have incredible sympathy uh, uh, for them, and then and then one other thought um, as we're coming up on 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 literally the last C seventeen flight, can you imagine that Air Force crew? taking off on that last C-17. And, and of course, we hope that it's going to be, you know, it, it, there's obviously going to be security concerns on on that last flight. But but looking down at thousands of Afghans um, uh, and whether it's the pilots or the, you know, the crew in the back, pretty extraordinary. Um, and, and so, you know, so I think the, you know, the, those who uh, who are on the ground in the last kind of, you know, final days, you know, we deserve enormous credit. Obviously, 13 you know, Americans lost their lives, um, which is unbelievably tragic. But I think there's going to be, you know, ramifications in the future. Uh, uh, because the U.S. military did not train 
to, to, to actually, you know, participate in this kind of Hunger Games scenario. And I cannot imagine what it's like there. And the dynamic at the gate for intelligence officers for the 20, I mean, you saw the casualty list. The, the oldest was like 31. I mean, these are 20 year olds mm-hmm. for the most part, the people manning the gates. And when the dynamic is at the gate, there's a mass of people. You don't know who's an American, who's a green card holder, who's a civ, who's just a person who's panicking, who's maybe a, a, a bad asset who is trying to infiltrate your base. And you have intelligence officers and USAID people and whoever the hell else is back there trying to get – because all you have left is getting the four people you need to get out through, the family through, the one guy through. You have to get this group through. And you have people like leaning over or texting you and being like, look for the guy with the red balloon and pull that guy out of the oh, crowd and pull him in. Incredible. And this is the response. This is what I mean by the passing wow. of responsibility, that this responsibility is being given to 20-year-olds. And in some cases, it's will you two 20-year-old Marines walk out to the Taliban checkpoint that are now all in front of our checkpoints, you know, um, and get that group through? And when they're not, they're not really allowed to, but will you go the 10 meters, the 50 meters to just walk them back? And, um, you know, they've all been told don't do it. Some have, uh, it's like the, this is that this decision is on you, um, is unconscionable to me that we did not have a process that allowed this to be avoided. And in fact, the people who have waited in line and followed procedures and filled out the stupid forms and put the spreadsheet of the manifest of their people in the right way and put all the things and put the photos and stapled it right uh, are the ones who haven't gotten in because what you really should have been doing is finding the people who would carry over the wall. And that, I mean, as Mark said, like the, the rippling effects of catastrophe within our diplomatic corps, within our, our aid and intelligence corps, within the military, that's not going to end anytime soon. I have a lot more, uh, questions (laughs) that we just are not going to have time to get to today, (laughs) specifically about sort of, you know, what the geopolitical ramifications of this are going to be with regard to China and Russia and what happens next. We'll have to save that for another conversation, but I do want to end with something constructive. Uh, you mentioned private industry stepping up, and I would love to know if there's if there are specific things that listeners can do, um, that individuals can do to help in some way, whether even if it's just donating to the right organizations, knowing which organizations are trying to do the best work, and um, what advice do you have? What can people do? Um, where would you point them? Where's help needed? I, I think, I mean, it, we're at phase two now. Okay. I mean, you know, and this is going to sound terrible, but, but you know, uh, you know, we will be leaving within, you know, several hours. Yeah. Um, there obviously is going to be, there's going to try to be some, some kind of process in which remaining, uh, you know, uh, Afghans, uh, Afghan Americans is, you know, LP, green card holders, legal permanent residents, and then some of our allies, you know, with the, with the SIVs can try to get out. So the U.S. government is going to try with some kind of Hail Mary when, when we're not there anymore to, to uh, uh, allow for this to occur. But I think, the most productive thing now is to welcome those Afghans into our country. And so, you know, when we say shift to phase two, that's a shift to there is an, going to be an extraordinary need for help. Um, there is a hell of a lot of people who have come here. Um, two things are needed. It's going to be resources, money to help them, uh, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, assimilate into the United States. But more importantly, and I really worry about a backlash. Um, particularly from the right, particularly an anti-immigrant backlash. So it's, it's – and this is where the American people, you know, individually can assist. Um, the Afghans are going to come to your communities. Um, there will be means for you to, you know, to, to, to come welcome them, whether that – again, it's, it's, it's donations um, uh, or, or, if you know, physically meeting them. And so I think that's – you know, that, at least that will be, you know, for myself and my family – 
um, kind of you know the the focus. Uh, you know there are there are big organizations. You know no one left behind. There's other there's there's some really big organizations that are are going to be helping with this. But I would also advocate calling your congressman. Yeah. Um, calling your individual district because you know for me what's going to be most you know most uh, important for me is to actually see these people walking around my community yeah. because I believe they're going to make great Americans yeah. again these are people who helped us um, uh, you know who saved my life and so I I love the idea of them being my neighbors yeah. um, but but ultimately I would I would call your local you know local uh, uh, congressman the district office and there's going to be ways in which we can help you know, bring these people in and so I think that you know that's the shift we certainly have to try to do as best we can after we leave. Um, uh, you know, uh, organizations will will help with that, but in my view, kind of, we're at, we're almost we're we're at the point of phase two, and and that's going to be critically important because I also I worry about the dynamics of this country, um, yeah. and you hear yeah. you start hearing kind of you know snippets from the right from the Stephen Millers of the world and others, oh yeah, um, about about you know the hundred thousand plus Afghans are going to come, um, and and I think it would be grotesque uh, to to see them um, you know you know face any kind of opposition after all they did for us. Absolutely. Molly. Yeah, I mean, look, just about every American came here fleeing something. Certainly every one of my ancestors did, yeah. sometimes in quite ignominious ways. But um, I, I definitely support everything that Mark just said. I think um, if you are pissed off, just even if you're pissed off, for t- like get off Twitter for 10 minutes, Google, <laughs> you know, whatever your commute, like Ada County refugee support. Um, you will find a local organization that aligns with your interests and values that you can support. Uh, there are many uh, church groups doing resettlements. There are many larger groups like, uh, you know, International Rescue Committee. Um, uh, it will not be hard to find them. There's been good uh, sort of compilations of them in most news organizations as well of how you can help um, the resettlement efforts. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that you're probably not even thinking about. I mean, sometimes it's money. I mean, obviously, money donations are always welcome to these groups. Uh, sometimes it's volunteer time. A lot of times it's basically being like a, a mentor to families mm-hmm. that have arrived, like, you know, check in with them, help them navigate the mall. Yeah. Like, how do they understand America? It's not quite Afghanistan here. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's it's really simple things like, okay, there's the group is collecting furniture to, to ha- you know, to furnish houses for families that are arriving. Do you have a garage that you can store stuff in for them for two weeks? And there's, so there's tons of different ways to help. Time, things, donations of stuff, uh, uh, money, um, tons of ways to help, uh, including if you want to be involved, uh, uh, helping integrate these people, welcoming them. I think, as Mark said, the most important thing is making sure these people who are arriving understand that we want them here. Um, and then, so step two is definitely translating that into policy. The crazies write their congressmen, they call into C-SPAN, they rant about the brown people coming to take over America, or whatever Stephen Miller said this morning. Um, remember this moment. And project it forward to everything else. When it's the next Syria, when it's the next Rwanda, when it's the next thing, open the fucking doors and let the people in. Because that's what we need to do. And every moment in history when we haven't, we have regretted it. And I think the problem I have with this administration right now is this like inverse Schindler's List theory of we can't get them all out, so we're not getting any out. And, you know... How do we remember World War II? Because the hundred people that got out told us how bad it was. So we need to get the tiny core of the Afghanistan we wanted out so that maybe someday it can be rebuilt. And just remember how you feel if you're pissed right now. And make sure that you tell your stupid elected officials who almost always get this stuff wrong. Um 
that they need care. to support this every time it comes up. That it should not be a debate every time there's 10,000 Syrians that need some place to go. That our refugee numbers should not be the lowest in the Western world. We are a big country with lots of land and lots of money and lots of love. And we can accept all of these people into our communities. I mean, I grew up in Idaho where there's like more Bosnians than you can count because <laughs> a huge group of them were resettled there. And you know what? They're amazing yeah. and we love them all. And yeah. um, and that's Idaho for God's sakes. Um, so I'm just saying we this is our country. And it's 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 easy to forget this is why we all ended up here. But – um, we need to unravel that and remember to constantly believe the same thing and not close the doors. Well said. Sorry. Yeah, thank it's you, been a, It's been a long, sleepless week. Well yeah. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. a little on edge. Yeah. I think that is um, a good place to leave it for today, but I'd love to have you both back. And sure. Of course. Do see again soon. Anytime. Thank you, Thank Mark. you. Thank Thanks. You, Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening today. You can find Mark and Molly on the internet by following the links in today's show notes. There are a number of ways you can help support this work and our mission. You can donate, which helps support the huge team and the effort that goes into every Politicology episode on the main feed. Or you can join the growing, thriving community of Politicology Plus members and gain access to hours of special content designed to help you think like a political strategist, look further down the road than everyone else, and understand the forces and figures shaping the fight for democracy. If you're not already in our Politicology Plus community, you can unlock this premium content at politicology.com plus. You can share this episode, or one of your favorites, with friends, family, and colleagues, Podcasts tend to grow based on word of mouth, and this helps us reach more people. Finally, you can rate five stars in the Apple Podcasts app and leave us a review there, because this helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at politicology.com. And even when we can't respond, we do read everything you send us, whether it's an episode idea, a guest recommendation, or a simple note about how the show has impacted you. And we love hearing from you. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>